are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk about number one seeds playing each other in the Super Bowl. It doesn't happen nearly as often as you think. We had a couple hirings in the NFL coaching ranks yesterday. We're going to talk a little bit more about the NFL and its officiating problems. I've got some college basketball thoughts for you as we are getting closer and closer to the NCAA tournament, my favorite sporting event of the year by far, and a little bit more on my golf analysis from yesterday, uh, something I wanted to add to it that I forgot to go over, and we will get to that momentarily. Right off the bat, let's talk about what I forgot yesterday. If you tuned into the Sports Daily yesterday, what did you not hear? Correct. Music. Didn't have any bumper music in the beginning. Didn't have any at the end. Why? Because I'm an idiot. I forgot. You know, I record the base of the podcast. Basically, the, the words that I speak. And then I have the intro music and the outro music that I have to add to the front and back. And yesterday, no different than me for, you know, mislabeling the podcast and calling the Daily Roundup the Sports Daily. Just me totally blanking yesterday. Totally forgot to do it. And when I listened back to the podcast, I'm like, oh, God. I press play, and I'm waiting to hear music, and it's just my voice starting. And I hate that. It's just a weird – I mean, I guess when you're just so used to music starting off a podcast, and then all of a sudden you hit play, and you don't hear that music, and it's just my voice, it was just like, ugh, what a screw-up. But I'm not going to go back in, delete it, add the music, and then repost it because then it gets screws everything up. So I just, like, forget it. You know, one day people can – not hear uh, the music from the um, final karate scene from Karate Kid. Um, <clears throat> Joe Esposito, you're the best. That's the name of the song. That's the uh, singer. But, yeah, I just forgot it yesterday. It had nothing to do with music rights or anything like that. Just totally blanked. So I apologize if you guys really love that song to start off your sports daily every day. Blame me. I just forgot it. So I wanted to talk about the number one seeds in the NFL. And this is interesting because I guarantee a lot of people don't realize this. There have been obviously 56 Super Bowls played. And uh, next weekend, next Sunday, uh, the February 12th, is Super Bowl number 57. Chiefs-Eagles, we know this. Of the previous 56 Super Bowls that have been played, only 43 of them were the teams seeded. For those first 13 years, there was no such thing as seeding when they were doing in the Super Bowl area era. In Now, heading into this year, before this season's playoffs started, only 13 of those 43 seasons, so roughly about 25% every four years, did both number ones seed play each other, number one seeds play each other in the Super Bowl. Which, I hope you realize how bizarre that is. And it kind of goes to show that, again, we don't know who's going to win these games. The two best teams in the league that had the best record in each conference in the last 43 seasons only played each other 13 times in the Super Bowl. So, way more often than not, 75% of the time, the two best teams didn't meet in the Super Bowl. And you know what that means? whether it was the new playoff format where only one seed gets a bye or all those years where it was the top two seeds that got a bye, 
to get to the Super Bowl as the number one seed in the AFC or NFC, no matter what playoff format, the six team or the seven team that's only been the last three years, all the number one seed had to do was win two home games. That's it. You have a bye in the first round. You get a home game in the divisional round. You get a home game in the championship round. That's it. Then you're in the Super Bowl. So that means the AFC and NFC winner, only 13 times in 43 seasons, both of them won two games. And that was it. And here's the other amazing stat about it. (laughs) From 1994's Super Bowl until 2009, it never happened. 16 straight years, we couldn't get the best team in the league to win, best teams in both conferences to win two home games. It never happened. Both number one seeds never met in the Super Bowl from 94 until 2009. Only five of the last 30 years has it happened. Well, now with the Eagles and Chiefs, it's now six of the last 31. And since 2009, it's happened six times. So it went 16 years where it didn't happen. And then in the last 14 years, 2009 to 2023, the last 14, I guess it would be 15 seasons, it's happened six times. So it's just really weird that it's seemingly happening more frequently now. But man, that is a crazy statistic. The two best teams in the league couldn't win two games in the playoffs in the same year for 16 straight years. The number one seeds didn't play each other. Now, before this year, since 2009, the number one seeded matchups were Colts and Saints for the 2010 Super Bowl, won by the Saints, Seattle-Denver in the 2014 Super Bowl, won by Seattle, Patriots-Seahawks the next year, won by the Patriots, Denver-Carolina, the following year, 2016 Super Bowl, won by Denver, and then when Philly beat the Patriots in 2018. They were both number one seeds. Those are the times that it's happened since 2009. But before that, hadn't happened since 1994. It's really interesting and kind of drills at home that it is a different ball game when you get to the playoffs. Doesn't matter if you had a bye. Doesn't matter if you're at home. Road teams can certainly win in the playoffs. Not saying home field advantage doesn't matter, but honestly, for 16 years it didn't because both number one seeds couldn't get there. So I do find it interesting, and I don't, you know, it doesn't really say anything. Of the five that have happened since 2009, uh, three of the Super Bowls uh, were won by the NFC, two by the AFC, so that doesn't really give any sort of advantage to Philly or Kansas City in a couple weeks. But it is really, really amazing. Now six of the last 31 years it's happened. That's not a lot (laughs) at all, you know, where the two best teams get to the Super Bowl. So just an interesting stat I thought I'd uh, share with you. Yesterday we had two coaching hires in the NFL, the Houston Texans, hired D'Amico Ryans, the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, to be their next head coach. And the Broncos hired Sean Payton, who's been out of the league for a year, taking time off to do TV for Fox. He's going to the Broncos. Uh, They had to give up some picks, and 
I think the Saints are still deciding on exactly what they're going to get as compensation for Sean Payton because he was still under contract with the Saints. But I don't know the what they decided on. However, there was a little Twitter war yesterday on this in regards to some of the, I guess if you want to call them, if you want to relate it to the Bachelor world, there are spoiler guys, quote-unquote, insiders, quote-unquote, in the NFL who report news and try to get breaking news out there as fast as they can. And Ian Rappaport put out there on Twitter that the Broncos spent today trying to hire D'Amico Ryans again before he recommitted to the Texans, sources say. When he agreed to terms with the Texans, they moved and finalized Sean Payton. Well, Adam Schefter, who came from the Denver Post and has a ton of connections within the Denver Broncos organization, and it's quite obvious where he gets a lot of his info from, 13 minutes after Ian Rappaport's tweet, made sure to not tweet out Ian Rappaport by name, call him out by name, because that's not professional to do in that industry, but did put this out. The timing of today's two hires was completely coincidental. Broncos were zeroed in on Sean Payton and didn't make any contact this week with D'Amico Ryans or his agent. Denver was focused on Payton and Houston on Ryans. So yes, Adam Schefter's tweet 13 minutes after Ian Rappaport was a direct shot at his reporting saying that the Broncos tried to get D'Amico Ryans yesterday and Ryan said, no, I'm going to the Texans. And then they said, okay, we'll go to Sean Payton. Here, here's the thing. One of them is dead wrong. The Broncos either contacted D'Amico Ryan yesterday or they didn't. And one of them is dead wrong. And we're never going to know the true answer because Schefter's going to stand by his sources and Rappaport's going to stand by his sources. And neither one of them is going to budge and neither one of them is going to admit the other one was right either. So <laughs> kind of happens a lot in my industry. You know, I put stuff out there that ends up being right. And it's like, oh, well, you're supposed to get it right. That's what you do. That's your job. Really? Oh, okay. Um, But I think it's funny that these two and the passive aggressive tweet by Schefter was classic Schefter uh, to go after Rappaport like that without calling him out by name. All you have to do is read that tweet to know exactly what he was talking about. Come on now timing of today's two hires was completely coincidental. Broncos were zeroed in on Peyton. Didn't make any contact this week with D'Amico Ryans and his agent. <laughs> 13 minutes after <laughs> Rappaport tweets. So yeah. Um, now, this could have been damage control by the Broncos front office. Like, oh shit. Rappaport found out we tried to get a hold of D'Amico today. Schefter cover our ass and say, no, we didn't. It's very possible because Schefter, we know his sources within the Broncos organization. He's very close to the Denver scene. He came from the Denver post. So yes, we know that he's literally got a front office executive on his speed dial. He's probably in touch with John Elway numerous times during the day when anything's going on in the Broncos organization. So maybe he's covering or maybe he's right. And Rappaport's wrong. But the thing is, we're never going to know. Because neither one's going to admit <laughs> wrongdoing. I just found that funny. 
So the NFL officiating came under fire this past weekend due to some calls that were questionable, due to some calls that they felt favored one team over the other. And inevitably, crazy-ass fans will say, oh, my God, the NFL is rigged. It's like, please shut up. Stop talking conspiracy, conspiracy theories when it comes to NFL referees. The league isn't rigged. Don't you think if the league was rigged, the number one sports team in all of sports, the number one valued team in all of sports, the Dallas Cowboys, would be given favoritism every year to try and get them as far as they can in the playoffs? And how many times in the last three weeks have I told you about the Dallas Cowboys' futility in the playoffs? They've been irrelevant in the NFL playoff scene for the last 27 years. If the NFL was rigged, I think they would want the most popular team, television-wise, to get as far as they can every year. So let's stop with the NFL is rigged because you had a call going against your team. Whether it's Bengals fans or whether it's Niners fans or anybody that lost in the playoffs and a bad call went against you. The NFL is not rigged. Officials are human beings and human beings are going to make mistakes during games. They're not like overturning touchdowns. Although they did in the Bills-Bengals uh, game, but it didn't matter because the Bengals won anyway. But, and if they want to, you know, let's just let's just take your theory and take your conspiracy theory that the NFL is rigged. And let's say it's rigged this season. Well, wouldn't they want one of the better stories in all of sports this year, the DeMar Hamlin story, to go farther than the divisional round? Wouldn't they do everything in their power to get the Buffalo Bills farther along in the playoffs? The Bengals went in there and undressed them and killed the Bills. So, I, it's stupid. I get it. Fan is short for fanatic, and most fan, most fans can't be possibly objective when it comes to their team. And this is the kind of nonsense that they spew at times. But yeah, this is what happens. And it's just funny to think that people seem to think the NFL uh, is rigged when their team doesn't get a good call. It's like, look, referees are going to make mistakes. Umpires are going to make mistakes. They're going to miss stuff. That's why we have replay. Replay is in place to try and get things right. And not every replay is going to end up being right. But they do their best. And you got to live with the fact that some mistakes are going to be made. Until the end of a game, if the last play of the game ends up being uh, a touchdown for a team that isn't supposed to win and they take it off the board for them or something. Again, could still just be a mistake by a referee, but maybe then you can scream rigged. But when has that happened? I can't remember any time in recent memory. So let's put the conspiracy theories away in regarding the NFL and being rigged and the referees are in on it and they're on the take and they're getting paid off. It's like, let's stop, please. All right, I want to talk some college basketball. Because we are six weeks away from the NCAA tournament starting. Things are starting to heat up in college basketball. And we've got some teams that are at the top of the rankings. And I've said this in the couple times that I've briefly mentioned college basketball in the Sports Daily over the last couple weeks. I've only talked about it maybe two or three times. But I, I've kind of kept saying the same thing. There is no dominant team in college basketball this year. Yes, the Purdue Boilermakers are 21-1. They're the only team in America with one loss. Um, however, 
the Purdue Boilermakers, if you think that they're the favorite going into the NCAA tournament, I they're not. And look, I don't want to take anything away from that team. They've played great this season. I mean, 21-1, and one, you can't take that away. They play in the Big Ten, a very good conference. Although this year, a little bit down. Not a ton of teams in the Big Ten in the top 25. In fact, now that I look at it, there's only one other team in the top 25 in the Big Ten. And that's Indiana, and they're all the way down at 21. So, and they didn't they lose last night? So they're going to drop out of the top 25. So you can kind of say Purdue is feasting on a very down year in the Big Ten. Michigan State is down. Michigan is down. Illinois is down. They've underachieved. Just not a lot going on in the Big Ten this year. So Purdue sits as the number one team in the nation at 21-1, and but they are a team that does not get to the Final Four. They've always had good teams, but they never get past that hump. Now, maybe this is the year they can because there is no dominant team, but it's also a year that because there's no dominant team, I think anybody can beat anybody. And while Zach Eady is dominating, when you have an offense like that come tournament time, it really scares me. They are not an explosive offense. You've got a seven foot three guy who's easily the player of the year in college basketball this year up to this point. But what if he gets in foul trouble in a in a tournament game? What if he's off a little bit? I yes, I under I think Zach Eady is leading the nation. No, he's not leading the nation in scoring, but he's he's killing it. He's averaging over he's averaging a double double. I get it. But I think Zach Eady is averaging a double-double because of his height. I still am not totally impressed by his post skills. I think he's just getting away with a lot of things because he's 7'3", which certainly helps. If you're playing a team that doesn't have a guy over 6'8 or 6'9, yeah, he's probably going to dominate. But I think he needs help. Purdue is a team that perennially up and down in the tournament. They're not a team that goes far very often. Certainly not Final Fours. I think there's a stat out there. The last time they've been in the Final Four is, you know what? Let me Google it so I can give you an answer. Well, I paused it, I Googled it, and I've got your answer. Purdue hasn't been to the Final Four in 43 years. Okay? This isn't a team that perennially is made for the tournament. They've only had two Final Four appearances in their career, in their school history, 1969 and 1980. Only two times they've been to the Final Four. So... To sit there and say, oh my God, they're 21 and 1. They're the only team in America that's lost one game. They're a shoe in. No, they're not. I'm, again, we're still early. We don't know what the brackets are, but they are a team that I'm absolutely looking out for to get bounced. Maybe Elite Eight, Sweet 16. You just, you, you almost have to go with the trend. And when a team hasn't been to the Final Four in 43 years, there's probably a reason for that. You know, and it's not to shit on the Boilermakers. If you're a Boilermaker alum, I'm just speaking facts. You haven't been there in 43 years, so it's not easy to be like, oh, they're, I'm penciling them into the Final Four. Tennessee is the number two team in the nation, and holy shit. If I, you know, at some point, probably when we get closer to the tournament, I'm going to read you Rick Barnes as a head coach in the NCAA tournament is an absolute terror and not in a good way. The amount of times that he has lost to a lower-seeded team than his team is through the roof. I'll get that stat for you as we get closer to tournament time, but 
I can't trust a Rick Barnes team as far as I can throw them when it comes to tournament time. And Vols fans, I know exactly, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How many times has your team underperformed in the NCAA tournament? It's, you'll laugh when I give the actual stat. I don't want to do it off the top of my head because I don't know it, but I want to say something like the last six times or something like that, that Rick Barnes has taken Tennessee to the tournament. He's lost to a team that was lower seeded than them. Yeah. Not good. Houston, good team, 20-2. and two. I like them a lot. Very athletic, play great defense, and the Final Four is in Houston this year. Would be a good story. Definitely looking at them as a Final Four team. I really like them. I've always liked them. They made the Final Four a couple years ago, so it's not like they can't get there. Um, Alabama is everybody's favorite team right now because they have Brandon Miller, who's probably going to be if not Zach Eady, the player of the year, Brandon Miller is probably going to be the player of the year in college basketball. A Kevin Durant clone, definitely going to be a top five pick in the draft. I love his game. Alabama playing really well. They won by almost 60 last night against Vanderbilt and their sorry basketball program. But a team that's kind of been on the cusp the last few years, um, I think that they have a legitimate shot. I don't like Arizona. Again, I know they're fifth in the country and they're 19-3, and three, but again, something about Arizona come tournament time. It's been a while, um, you know, since they made noise. You know, the Lute Olsen days. And, you know, Sean Miller could never get over the hump with them to the Final Four. Virginia, yes, national champions in 2019, but... Again, I hate teams that have, you know, score 55 points a game come tournament time. So you're just going on down the list. Kansas defending national champions got revenge on Kansas State last night. A good team. I don't think they're national championship worthy this year. I don't. I just don't think they're that good. Could they get to the Final Four? Yeah, I just don't think they're uh, poised to win it this year. I do like UCLA. Um, I like their senior leadership with Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell. I love their youth. I really like McCronin as a coach. UCLA has been there. That is a team to watch out for for Final Four. Then you've got Texas, Baylor, Gonzaga, Iowa State, Marquette, TCU. Like I said, TCU was my Final Four team last week, and right after I said that, <laughs> their center got a high ankle sprain, and their best player, Mike Miles Jr., has a hyperextended knee. So all bets are off now on TCU in terms of do I think they're still a Final Four team. I need to see those guys healthy. But if they are healthy come tournament time, depending on their bracket or whatever, I absolutely think TCU could make the Final Four. Um, Xavier, Providence, St. Mary's, Florida Atlantic is the surprise team in college basketball this year. I couldn't name one player on that team. I know nothing about the Owls. Give a hoot. Give a hoot, Florida Atlantic. They're the Owls, right? Yeah, they're the Owls. Um, I have to do a little more research on them. I'll be honest. I don't know a thing about their team. I just I know they're 21-1. and one And... <laughs> And have, you know, the second best, the same record as Purdue, best records in college basketball. But obviously, you're Florida Atlantic. You're not playing the team's quite the caliber of Purdue. But they seem like a good team. Maybe they win a game or two in the tournament. But, yeah, your your national champion is probably going to come from the top 15 teams uh, in the nation right now, You know, these, which is usually the top four seeds. Your, your national champion, for the most part, is usually a top four seed kind of like the bachelor and the bachelorette usually the lead comes from finishing in the top four of their season you'll get the outlier here once in a while that wins the national championship but for the most part your national champion is going to be a one two three or four seed and um 
So we'll have to see once the season plays out. But that's the standings right now. This coming weekend, no NFL. So I will be watching a lot of college basketball this weekend, getting ready for the tournament, and can't wait for it to start. Like I said, it's my favorite sporting event to watch and especially be in Vegas for because on that Thursday when the tournament starts, you've got 16 games all staggered starting at 9 a.m. and ending about 10 p.m. Thursday, and then you run it back, same exact thing, 16 games starting at 9 a.m., ending at 10 p.m. on Friday. It is glorious to sit in the sports book for 12 hours straight. Some people might not find that fun. I find it exhilarating, to be honest with you. Uh, yes, do I get up and have lunch once in a while? Maybe go to the tables for a little bit if there's games on that I don't have an interest in? Sure, but um, just being there and you know having 16 games. You know I go out for first week of NFL every year, but that's one day and you've got you know nine or ten morning games and then that's it. You know, three or four afternoon games. This is a weekend of just nonstop college basketball. And with so many games and point spreads in every game, you're going to have games that even if the score isn't close with the point spread there, games are coming down to miss free throws and fouls at the end of the game and timeouts and all this stuff. So, yeah, it's it's the best thing to be in Vegas for, I think, um, to watch. It really is. So, Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please uh, rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. It certainly helps this new podcast as we begin month number two. I can't believe it's February already. Jesus. Anyway, the we started this on January 2nd. It is now February 1st. We are starting week five. I hope you've all enjoyed the Sports Daily and uh, going to keep it going and hopefully entertain you guys. So thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember... Sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See ya!